Hi, this is Dan Kidder. I'm coming to you with the Southern Utah Citizens for Ethical Government and the Cedar City Politics interviews with our city council candidates. And these were also going to be placed on the What's Really Happening in Southern Utah, the podcast uh, Facebook group. Today, joining me in the studio is Robert Cox, council, uh, city council candidate. So for those of you who have not seen the other podcasts, let me give you a little rundown of how the city council race works because it's a bit different than a lot of people are used to. So with a county commission or a school board seat, you're running for a specific seat or district. In city council, it's like an episode of the TV show Survivor. There are three seats that are coming up. Um, Two of those, Terry Hartley and Craig Isom, uh, they're not running for re-election. The third is Tyler Melling's seat, and he is running for re-election. And you can go on to the Cedar City Politics uh, Facebook group, and you can see his interview, as well as uh, Carter Wilkie's interview and Kathy uh, Long's interview. And we'll have the other candidates coming into the studio. I've got two more today and the last one tomorrow, and we will have done all of the uh, candidates. So for those three seats, seven people filed to run. <clears throat> Sorry, eight people filed to run. One of them dropped out, Mary Pearson. So there are seven candidates for those three seats. Because there are seven and not six, we have to have a primary election in September. The top six vote getters in the September primary will move on to the general election in November. And whoever gets the three top vote getters will become members of the Cedar City Council. So it's not a running for seat A, seat B, seat C. So that makes it difficult to do one-on-one debates like I've done in the past. So what we opted to do instead is these interviews with each of the candidates so you can get to know a little bit about them. I found out yesterday that on Monday, hopefully all of these will be up and and everybody will have seen them by Monday, but on Monday at 5.30? is the Levitt Center is doing debates on the SUU campus. Is that 530? I haven't been invited if they have. so. I've oh, well, that's good. I, I've heard that nobody's actually known about this event, but I've seen a couple posters for it. So it hasn't been advertised very well yet. But uh, So keep your calendar free for Monday because uh, apparently there's Levitt, uh, Great. Levitt Center for Government <laughs> Debates on the SUU campus. Go back, check your email. I know you've been on a, on a bank fishing uh, for a few days. So go back, check those, make sure that uh, they didn't leave you out or you, you did get that or it goes in spam or wherever. Um, but they will be at the, uh, the, Hunter, Tom, uh, the Hunter Thomas. <laughs> I used to work for a newspaper in upstate New York that Hunter Thompson worked for, and he was fired for breaking into the break machine, uh, the snack machine there in the break room. So I don't know where that came. The Hunter Conference Center um, at SUU is where that will be, and I, I will double check on the time, and I will throw it into the description of this when I get it uploaded. So one of my things with this is I don't edit out anything so i mean short of a major technical glitch or you know an emergency phone call or the building catches on fire there's there's no edits to this the only editing that i do is you know whose whose video is up when they're talking but we have one master uh, audio file and that doesn't get altered in any way unless you know for the reasons i mentioned so anyway let's get into it i've got robert cox here in the studio with me today and as I mentioned, he is a uh, candidate for city council. So um, I'm going to have you go ahead and introduce yourself. And I get this timer up. 
my big timer, I plugged the wrong plug into it and, and burned it up. So I have to get a new big timer. So I'll, I'll let you know when you've got, you know, 10 minutes, five minutes as we get going. But I'll start the timer when, when you start going. Tell us a little bit about yourself, why people should vote for you for city council, why you want to be on the city council, uh, your history, your background, and all that good stuff. So I'm Robert, and I put the S there. There was at one point three Robert Coxes in town. Okay. So I'm Robert S. Cox. That's how we. I've, I've gotten voicemails and messages for the others, but that's beside the point. Anyway, um, of my almost 31 years of marriage, I've spent the bulk of that here in Cedar City. We did a nearly four years in Las Vegas. After I graduated with my master's degree in accounting from Southern Utah University, so we spent the time here while going to school. I um, actually bought a home in college, believe it or not. Um, well, I, I was tired of paying rent even then, and that was in the 90s. Um, and that was a great investment for us. Um, and then moved to Vegas, and then had the opportunity to come back, and we've been here since. So nearly 30 years that we've, that we've been here and love Cedar City and, and all of our children. Our five children have been educated here. We had uh, kids in every school. The, 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 hair, the hair school, the elementary school, middle school, high school, and SUU at one point. Um, we are almost empty nesters. Our baby will be 16 in a, about a week. Um, and she's the one that's left at home. And uh, I have six grandchildren now, so that's a highlight. Oh, wow. Um, which, is, which is fun. So I kind of, I'm, I'm going on both ends of the you know the spectrum as far as age goes um and so i have a probably a great understanding of of of, uh, of young newly marrieds and and their struggles with housing and and other things like that um up to you know the in in my my age where where i'm not quite ready for retirement but i'm looking forward to it at some point so um why i'm running for city council i I've, I've been asked multiple times by lots of people from uh, multiple uh, walks of life and side of the aisle, if you want to call it that, um, that I've rubbed shoulders with in, in many capacities. That uh, and and I I don't ha I didn't have a, this strong desire to be a politician, if you want to know the complete truth. <laughs> but I but I do have a desire to give back to the community, and I do have a desire to to uh, use this the my experience, my life experience, and my work experience as a CPA uh, in public accounting. I get to see a lot of different uh, business entities and what works and what doesn't. And I think I have some financial acumen that, uh, you know, th that can be helpful as the city navigates through through the coming years um, um, financially and, uh, and in other ways as well. I, I have served on many um, nonprofit boards. I, I give back. I, I put my money where my mouth is. I, I support a lot of uh, a lot of local local things. I've I've been on the the, the Southwest uh, Junior Livestock Show Board for many years. Um, the Happy Factory Board, the Home Builders Board, um, the uh, I've, the Home Builders Association Board, uh, the Rotary Club. I was president of the Rotary Club. I've been president of the, of the other, a couple of those other organizations as, as well. Um, and then I've supported uh, many, many other 
events. Uh, one was yours, the, uh, you know. Yeah, I was going to add to that is that every time I've had an event or done something, whether it was the Back the Blue protest or the, the hate fundraiser, you've stepped right up and been right there. You're our auctioneer. You actually bought one of the things you were auctioning and then put it back in to be auctioned again. And so we really appreciate your, your efforts in doing that. Well, and, and I, I, I really get involved because I think um, too often we think the government is the be-all, solve-all. And I think that as citizens step up, um, we make the community a better place by giving of our time, talent, resources. Uh, it, it just it makes us all rise when we, when we come together as a community. And that's, that's why I, be, I have been involved in, in many things. Um, you know, I've taken youth groups to Mexico through the Rotary Club and built houses for needy people. Um, did uh, I gathered up uh, 30, I think it was 35 sheep um, and took to the reservation along with about Oh, five, that's right. Yeah, 5, during 000, COVID. Yeah, about 5,000 pounds of food. They, they were shut down and their supply chain was shut down and it was, it was, they were in pretty sad shape. Yeah, and I remember that there were those, those events going on. And so... You know, I, I see a need and I do it. I, you know, in most cases when, when, when all is said and done, there's more said than done. Um, and I'm one of those that I see a need and I step up. And, and many in the community helped too. It wasn't just me. Uh, many of the local farmers and ranchers were so good just to start giving me. And I took two different trips and I gathered sheep two different times um, because that's kind of their mainstay and their protein. Right. Um, and uh, I know growing up, my grandfather was an old cowboy and, and the biggest insult he could hurl at you if you were being a sissy or crying was he call you a sheep herder. <laughs> and, and then I moved to Utah and met some sheep herders and I'm thinking, man, how tough do cowboys have to be to think that sheep herders are sissies? Cause there's right, nothing right. sissy about those guys. <laughs> well, there's an old, there's an old, uh, sheep guy here in this community that he always said, I, I have sheep. Uh, for the money, and I have cows for my status. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's a whole different story too. But I've I've been very involved in the agricultural community. I, I have a hobby farm. Um, I've raised alfalfa. I raise show lambs. I I I have helped literally over a hundred youth raise uh, livestock projects and show uh, in livestock shows, and and have helped them. And your kids do any of that mutton busting? They do actually. Do they? I, yeah, my, <laughs> My grandson, who is five, uh, he won all-around cowboy for his age bracket for the the Cedar Junior Rodeo Association here. And one of the events he did was mutton busting, and um, so yes, and my my kids have as well. But um, it's fun to see a five-year-old master a you know nine hundred thousand pound horse and do the barrels and the poles. Oh, I just love watching them hang on to that sheep for their dear life as that thing <laughs> bolts around the arena. I, I had never seen that until I moved to Utah about 18 years ago. And, and I was blown away. I was like, this, this, this kind of borders on, you know, uh, endangering the welfare of children. <laughs> yeah, it's good. But they, you know, they, they, they keep them pretty safe with helmets and stuff these days. Yeah. We never had that when I was, when I was doing it. No, as a kid and playing, I didn't have the protections that a lot of them have today. We did crazier things than that, I guess. Right, right. But I, I'm, I have a, I, I grew up in that environment, and I'm currently. My wife says it's a genetic deficiency, <laughs> this agriculture thing, but I do it anyway. <laughs> so, I, I have a vested interest in protecting our heritage here in Cedar City, but also protecting the rights of people, um, you know, their their land and and what they want to do with it. Um, I, I don't think government uh, should be telling people what they should and shouldn't do 
with their property with the exception of kind of a 30,000 foot view with with zoning and and not putting manufacturing next to residential and you know those kind of things but otherwise i think that that we we have rights to our property and, I, I think and, and its use i think when zoning was created it was set up to create these zones so that if you did build in a certain area that was adjacent to an industrial you'd know you'd go in with your eyes wide open that hey they could build a factory right next to this property that i bought uh, but I don't think it was it was ever intended to to put the thumb of government down on people like it has. Right. I mean, when we lived in Vegas, uh, Las Vegas, uh, there was a development that went right in next to a pig farm, and then they moved in, knowing it was there. They signed disclosures and then complained about the stink. Yeah. And so, I mean, all the people who moved around the shooting range down in Hurricane. They they knew they were moving right next to a, a shooting range, and then they wanted to shut down the shooting range because it, it, the guy threw live rounds, full cartridges on his roof, and said, "Hey, bullets from the range are hitting my house." And oh, wow. no, that's not how those. You, you need to know how a gun works. Yeah, well, and I same I saw that same dichotomy um, when I was in the National Guard. I was with the Triple Deuce, and we used to go up up to. Uh, um, up, up Lehigh, you know, mm -hmm. up there, and they had a range, and and then the development started to encroach, and they started complaining, even though they knew that it had been an impact range for artillery for decades, and so they basically eventually squeezed them out. And, yeah, same with airports. Uh, People build their house right at the end of a runway, and then complain that the airplanes are loud. Right, right. But I think we we, we digress. We could go a long ways down that rabbit hole. But um, I I th I think you're right that. Uh, you know, if people go into their eyes wide open, then then why not be able to build a house next to manufacturing if that's if that's your choice? Yeah, I mean, what what does it hurt? Who is it harming? It's just you, right? And your value of sa of resale later, and anybody who buys it knows that that's that's yeah. what they're getting. We have a city council member in Enoch, who in twelve days he keeps doing a countdown on Facebook. In twelve days, is moving to Missouri, and his big impetus, he says, in doing that is he can build a shed in his backyard without a permit, build a deck in his backyard without a permit. It seems that in Cedar City, we're very over-regulated when it comes to any of that type of stuff. It's very difficult for home builders to get permits. The, the process is lengthy, expensive. There's a lot of impact fees. And um, would you, what would you do to help streamline that process and make it more friendly to people wanting to do things with their property? You know, I, I, I I agree with you that there's a lot of uh, of red tape that goes into building. I've I've gone through that process just getting water and sewer into my a barn I just built, um, and so I think the that most people are not going to build something that's going to harm themselves, and so we're, we're we've leaned too heavily on government saying, "Hey, I'm going to protect you from yourself." Mm -hmm. And and I think we could actually streamline a lot of the of the of the inspection and the the process uh, in building, and probably save on on uh, employee costs for the city. I, I think we could do a better job of of communicating with um, people who are building, especially those that aren't developers that don't know. Have a checklist. Here's what everything you need to have done. And, and Would you differentiate much in, in the way you approach things from the person building one house versus the guy coming in and building the 30-unit subdivision or 100-unit subdivision? As far, uh, it differenti differentiate as, as far as they're treated in the process they have to go through. 
So I think you have to be fair in the process and make it pretty standard. But what I where I think we waste a lot of time is we have a, a well-established, reputable builder who they go out to do inspections and they know that it's going to be done right. Um, they just time after time it's right. I think we could streamline a lot of the processes. I, I think, you know, inspecting a shower pan, you know, to have someone run out to, to drive out to inspect a shower pan. My dad was a builder, by the way, so I understand the terminology. Right. Um, you got to flood it. You got to plug it up and, and make sure it doesn't leak. And Right, right. And to me, that's a waste of time. Who Who is going to build a house without a shower pan? They're not going to be in business very long. Right. And, and so, there's five-year warranties. And, right, and right. And so, and so the, I think we waste a lot of time on things that don't make a lot of common sense, um, in, in, my, in my opinion. And spend time on things that, that really do matter. Spend t- time on, on uh, builders that really haven't proven, don't have a good track record of, of quality building. Because there have been those in this valley, too, that have really, that really hurt a lot of uh, consumers. Um, left houses unbuilt and unwired and anyway the, they're here and gone but that's the result right um, and so I think so yes um, I think that we can streamline some processes there I think informing people who are onesie twosie home you know self builders do a little bit better job of saying this is what we need and have a checklist so walking them through ready. that process instead of having five different steps you come out and five one, find one and then you go, well, we can't do it. So you go back and then they come back. Oh, I found another. And then you come back and uh, I found another. And that seems to be um, pretty common as opposed to make me a whole bullet point and then you can come back once. And it saves time on both sides of that issue. Right. Um, and so I, I think there's some things we can do. I think we can improve improve um, some of our, our code. Um, for example... For for eons, uh, you you had to have a backyard setback of so many feet. If you ask someone why do they, uh, why do we have that amount of setback? I don't know. It's just code. Well, the code was established when septic tanks were in every backyard, and you mm-hmm. had to have that much leach filled to to put in a, a septic tank and so uh, now that everybody's on sewer it makes zero it sense makes zero sewer. sense and I, and I think there's a lot of codes on the book that are in that same pattern and so by removing that setback requirement you didn't encroach on your neighbor you can actually fit a few more homes on acreage and and we can we can reduce the cost of housing in some of those approaches um, I think uh, you know some of the zoning um, and impact fees uh, can be restructured to be more favorable. Um, to just to give you an example, and I know that some of the work has been done in this regard, but some of the larger downtown lots, um, some of them are quarter acre, mm-hmm. um, or some are just a little bit smaller than that, but they have one home on them. I think if it's owner occupied, you should be able to build a mother-in-law quarter or a cabana or something in the, in behind that that would allow for your kids you know if they're going to college to move in and have some some low-cost housing without without going to, to council and <coughs> having to get a waiver to the master plan and yep and and spend you know i mean we're 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 looking at forty fifty thousand dollars for impact fees yeah. and there's really no impact if they hook into the same water and the same sewer and the same power um 
water is one impact that I think is a finite resource and people need to bring water to the table. That's well, and that's where I was going to go next with, with questions <clears throat> is, you know, there's movement with the council and they've done this is now the, the cheap water that we've been enjoying is going to be a lot more expensive for those who are what they call water wasters or heavier users of water. Um, but we're also going to be buying about $14 million worth of water shares uh, to give us more access to water in this basin. Um, where do you come down on water? Is it is it a buy more? Is it a drill more? Is it a conserve more? What's your approach to it? All of the above. <laughs> um, I, I, I am a, a huge proponent of, of users pay. You know, if someone has gone through the trouble of making a zero scape home, then then they shouldn't pay as much as someone who has you know, an acre of, of green. Um, and so I think having a user pay, which is kind of the structure they went to, will create a lot more incentive to to reduce the green space and, and conserve water. And so I, I, I'm more of a carrot than a stick kind of guy. Right. Um, that's the carrot. The other carrot is the, you know, the state has some rebates that are offered for um, removing green space in your yard and 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 i think that is a carrot as well that being said conservation is is key uh with using a carrot um and the stick is the is the cost if you choose not to right it should be yeah absolutely absolutely. oftentimes there's other penalties and that seems to be government's favorite game to play is you know pile on the penalties yes and I was a, I, I am in favor of the water they just they just purchased in the west side of the county here. Yeah. Um, I think but the question we have with that is you know we've we've purchased these water rights in the Wawas and, and the Beaver and and now out in Newcastle Borough area we got to convey that water to here in order for us to, to use it. And the other side is we bought a lot of water rights um, and they're on paper, but what if we drill a hole in the ground and there's no water in it? So there's going to need to be some infrastructure that is built around water where do you see the best use of the the limited resources that we have to get that water where we're able to use it well we need to develop the water closest to us first while simultaneously developing the opportunity for water each step away does that make sense yep. so so burl is a, a huge step closer than wawa but we develop both at the same time and what go through the process the wawa permitting and and environmental impact and all those other you know restrictions are going to it's probably going to be 10 to 12 years and is my understanding to get it here um the borough that that doesn't have to be that far out and and i think we can develop some win-win strategies with um with uh secondary water um retreated water and and restrict uh, not restrict that's a bad word but not pull it out of the aquifer so we you know there's a lot of gray water that that goes into the sewer that could be utilized much better and so incentives for uh, there's some places that have gray water um drain and black water drain so gray water would be your you know your shower and you know kitchen sink well i guess kitchen dishwasher dishwasher yes so um and and so i think we need to really look at uh, ways to utilize what we have and and then uh, um, develop more where where we can. Now we've got one resource that is fondly called the poo water. 
And that's the type 2 effluent that comes out of the sewage treatment plant and is suitable for secondary watering for alfalfa, for corn fed to cattle, not to people. Um, but there is talk that we could either spend about $100 million to upgrade the sewage treatment plant's type 1 effluent and put that back into the aquifer and use it. And, um, or we can utilize that that type 2 effluent is a alternative to those in agriculture from drawing from the aquifer. They can use this water and that helps protect the aquifer. Do you have a position on that? Do you think it's a good plan to upgrade or wh where do you come down on that? Well, I think, I think if we, you know, and, and this is nothing against agriculture, you know, most, most of the water rights in this valley are owned by people who are in agriculture mm -hmm. and that's just a plain and simple fact and they have a right to that water and they have a right to water their field and we all like to eat and yes and you so my dad always said growing up you can't complain about a farmer with your mouth full and so so they have the rights but if we compensate them again the carrot approach if we say hey we will trade we will give you secondary water and, and get it to you uh, it, you know for the to have them slow down the pumping of the aquifer it's a win-win there is some infrastructure with that when you've got to get is. the water absolutely. to where it needs to go absolutely and that would be an expensive uh, proposition what, how would you approach that that that's a good question because no matter what you do with water it's expensive we've we, pipelines expensive yeah. trust me I, I just put in a, a, not you know four or five hundred feet of water and sewer and, and it's not cheap yeah and so um, but we need to do something. Uh, what that funding looks like, I don't know, um, because I, I really haven't delved into the numbers of, of getting a secondary pipeline to get to the farmers. But I know that I know this. There's a there's a handful of farmers who have the largest um, you know fields uh, that are being harvested right now, and and it wouldn't take much to get it to four or five, and and in so doing, we free up you know, four acres of feet per water per acre on an alfalfa field. So Cedar City has something I never saw because I'm from the Washington, D.C. area, so we didn't obviously have anything like this. But in some of the neighborhoods you drive through, they've got the gutter. And it's got water running through it from Coal Creek, and it's it's sent down for people to use in their yards and, and pull that water in. And um, could we do something like that with the secondary where, you know, maybe this farm gets to use it on Monday, this one gets it on Tuesday, and... And then that way, they can just have an open ditch that, that runs that water without having to pipe it. Um, open ditch is tough uh, because then you get into most of the most of the larger agricultural uh, farms around here have pivots, mm -hmm. and and pivots uh, are actually a lot more efficient use of water. And they've got to be pressurized. Um, they have to be pressurized, and so you'd have to have some way to either get it in. If you got it into a pond, like the existing irrigation ponds, I know I know you could probably get it to to. There's there's one that uh, that is in Enoch that a lot of those pivots run off of. If you could get it into that pond, it would not only you know, uh, recharge the aquifer a little bit. They'd also be able to use it more gravity-fed than pumping, which is expensive. Um, so yes, I would. I would look at all options. I'm. I'm just saying nothing's off the table when it comes to water. We right. need to explore all options um, and and do what we can. G growth is inevitable. Um, it's painful, but it's inevitable, and and we need to allow people. 
the right to do on the property. If, if they bring water to the table and they want to build, we the government can't get in the way. We can't pick winners and losers. We can't pick, well, you can build here, not there. We need to be pretty good at allowing people the right to to their property. Let's and talk geez. about growth for a minute because we're seeing the need for, for more infrastructure. I mean, traffic on Main Street is horrendous right now. You can't make a, a left turn anywhere without going to a stoplight. Um, how do we handle the growth? Do we try to limit it? Do we try to plan around it? Do we build around it? What What is your approach to handling that growth? Well, the best approach for growth is to properly plan and execute um, for the growth. And and again, those are expensive propositions. But Well, our master plan planned for 3% growth, which it had been forever. And now it's 12. 12. So. Yes. <laughs> and, and so... But as a result, I mean, I, I'm, an, I'm a nerd. I brought the financial statements of the Cedar City and been studying those. And, you know, there's $3 million more million in the, in the property tax revenue in the budget line item than there, than there was the prior year. And so there's, there's a lot more money coming. The sales tax is up several million. Um, and so I think we need to utilize what we have better. And that's why... As, as a, a CPA, a certified public accountant, and, and with a financial background, I think I bring a lot to the table to to analyze that and say, you know, let's let's do what makes sense economically, and and I want to be fiscally responsible. Um, but on the same token, I'm 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 very a compassionate person too, and so if there's there's that side that you have to keep reined in on a lot of people. I tell you, my girlfriend's a CPA, and you don't argue with her. Because her mind works different, she'll pick apart every little point that you, <laughs> you bring up to the table. So, I get that an, that analytical mind part of it. But um, to answer your question, um, we we need some we we really need some arterial uh, roadways that 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 either a, a beltway or something around the city because it is getting it is getting congested. Well, right now there is a transportation master plan that would put. Uh, kind of connecting secondary roads that are kind of pieced up and, and not connecting. But my understanding is that that plan is kind of reliant on developers coming in and building in those areas and then putting in those pieces of the road as they develop. Do you think it might be time for the city to actually step up and, and connect those pieces themselves? Um, yes, in some circumstances. Um, for example, there down 3900 west there is a development on on the you know, it, there's three pieces mm -hmm. the north piece is developed the roads widened the south piece is developed the roads widened um, there's a patch in the middle where it v's down to to two lanes and it, to me it just makes sense for the city to go in and build that road all the way through because it's it's so it's so piecemeal the same thing exists on Lund Highway, where they're widening, and when it all of a sudden abruptly stops yeah. there north of the airport. Um, Bulldog has a section there where it's pavement, dirt, pavement, and right, right, and and so I think in those circumstances, you know, the developers had to pay to have that road widened, and so I'm not saying that the other develop, you know, the other property doesn't have to pay for it, but they will ante up when they develop it. Right. Right. And, and I think the city, you know, the city utilizes um, uh, developers a lot to do their projects. 
for example, if, if they want to build a development, they say, hey, water pressure and, and fire flow is not sufficient for your subdivision. You need to go half a mile away and put in, you know, f seven, eight hundred thousand feet of, of, of uh, tie-in to tie one main to another to give you the proper flow. Yeah. And then they get reimbursed. But why is the city not, not doing that? Or and, build a park. Right, you know, right. That's where all parks come from. Absolutely. And so... So yes, I think there's some things that, that that we could look at and say, well, this just makes sense for the city to do this because one developer building a loop actually just benefited five developments, but they just happened to be the one that said, "I'm ready." Or it also it also um, impacts in a positive manner existing developments. You know, for for example, my development that loop would have increased the water flow and pressure in my subdivision that's already mostly built out. Yeah. And and so is it does it is it right for one developer to foot the cost to build the engineering they get reimbursed um, for some, for all that that's going to benefit to me that looks like a city's responsibility to keep in ahead of those kind of things and that obviously is going to involve some sort of taxation and we, we hate taxation um, but uh, speaking of taxes there is a tax that is going to be on the ballot. Um, this November, and that is the Recreation Arts and Parks Tax, the RAP tax. Um, that is coming up for reauthorization. I don't know if you heard about this while you were fishing, but uh, one of the recipients of that RAP tax held a uh, paint night and drag show for children. Um, where do you feel that uh, tax dollars should be spent for that type of thing? Or are you in favor of the RAP tax? Are you in favor of repealing it? So the RAP tax is interesting. The, the the accountant in me, right? The, the way I favor it is it brings a lot of outside money to the table for for uh, our recreational and parks and, and arts. Um, so people passing through, there's one penny out of, uh, I think it's a dollar. Um, it's a point, uh, point 0.1%. 0.1%, yes. Yeah. Um, so a penny out of every $100. Yeah. Um, that is that comes from outside people that pass through that, that buy things here and so it's a source that's not dependent upon our on our residents the part about the rap tax i do not like is it puts it puts elected officials in the position to have to pick winners and losers and so you have all everyone come they have their hand out there that well my my cause is more just than their cause and and i don't i don't necessarily like that part of uh, of that rap tax um as far as the drag show um i do believe people have their first amendment rights to to, to assembly and i don't think we can deny them uh the opportunity to assemble um now that's not my cup of tea and i wouldn't take my kids or grandkids kids kids likely but if that's their gig and they're not um you know, they're not doing anything inappropriate, then then they have the right to assemble. Um, where it gets a slippery slope is now, because it's become a thing, we put, we ask elected officials, are you gonna fund this? And so if we had no RAP tax, we wouldn't be put in that position. And, and so I, I don't know that I have a definitive answer for that. But I, I do know that, that what I like about it, what I don't like about it, and we'll have to consider those things when that, when that comes up. So what is it you think that you would bring to the city council that 
currently isn't there or that you would um, uh, enhance by being there? I think just my my life experience and my work experience get, makes me pretty well-rounded. And I, I grew up with uh, on a farm. I'm one of 10 children, so you have to have a can-do attitude. Um, you, you can't have a can't-do attitude with nine siblings, or you just don't. You can't have a non-collaborative attitude either, I don't no, think. No, no. And, and so I bring, I bring a knowledge from the ag community. I bring a knowledge from, from develop, developers in the development community, and I bring a, a knowledge from my clients that are in restaurants and, you know, just, just a broad array of, of, uh, of people that, that I, I have some glimpse into their life and, and how, you know, the city impacts them for good and bad. And, and then my financial uh, background is, I think, will be key in, in planning for the future and trying to protect the, the sacred funds that are the taxpayers. You know, that's, it's theirs. It's not the city's. It's their funds, and we need, we've been put in a, a position to spend them wisely. And so I will be one that will look at needs and, and, uh, and versus wants. You know, everyone has wants. Right. Um, but the needs need to be satisfied first. Well, speaking of needs and wants, a couple years back, the uh, city was moving forward with a proposal to add on to the aquatic center, um, even so far as going as throwing out the, the people occupying the space that they wanted to build on, um, the ice rink, um, to put a basketball uh, complex, they called the Mac Center. Um, and the citizens of this community held a referendum to at least put that on the ballot. That was all that the referendum would have done. Do you think that as a member of council, um, you should be able to proceed with borrowing any amount of money for a capital project like that? Or do you think that perhaps there should be an ordinance that says that if you're going to spend X dollars on a capital project, it should automatically go on the ballot? Because there are some bonds that are required to be on the ballot, and then there are some bonds that are not required to be on the ballot, but there's nothing in that that says that they can't be on the ballot. So do you think that there's a threshold where the people should have that input? You know, um, so let me answer your referendum question first. I think referendum uh, referendums are last-ditch efforts when citizens have done all they can to appeal to their to their elected officials to do something and they simply get ignored. I don't think a referendum is anytime you disagree, you go out and throw out a referendum. Right. I, I don't think that that is what they are intended for. I think they were intended as a last resort to get attention. So like the sales tax refer referendum, I think I, I think that is an example of one that I got on board with. I didn't get on board with the, uh, you know, with the aquatic center referendum uh, simply because we elect people um, to represent us, it's a this is a representative republic. We rep, we elect people to represent us, and if you don't like that, your recourse is to to elect someone else. And I also I also think um, that that when you when you're in the trenches and you know the details of what's going in and out of those projects, you may be more informed about that decision. Now, citizens are informed too. Don't misunderstand me, um, but by and large. Uh, the ones that have the most information are the ones in the, in the trenches working on it, and that's why we elect people to represent us. It's it's no different than saying, 
um, let's just go to a straight election across the United States. Uh, 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 it'd be, Getting rid of the Electoral College. Uh, it would be a population con- a popularity contest, and then you would have New York and Chicago and some large cities in Texas and L.A., you know, that would make decisions for us here in Utah. And, and I think that, that the re- representative form of government is exactly very wise in, in so that pe- it can appeal to all people um, as opposed to just... Um, so there wouldn't be any, any set number that you would think should be given to the people to vote on? You know, I mean, I, I really haven't decided about a, a fixed number. But if it were in millions, uh, you know, then I wouldn't be opposed to saying, hey, let's vote on it if it's this. Um, but again, you, you just get so much misinformation depending. I mean, just with the Aquatic Center, there was so many stories told that, that contradicted with one another that I don't know that anyone really could get to the bottom of, of what was reality. And, and so I hesitate to make mob rule, and I don't want to call it mob rule, be the order of the day um, because, because again, you elect people to represent you. Um, and if you don't like it, you, you boot them out. We have term limits. It's called being involved, right. citizenry being involved and, and, uh, and elect someone that has your like values and, and so forth uh, to office. So one thing that I hear from people quite frequently is the reason city council meetings are so poorly attended is they don't feel like the council cares what they have to say or listens to what they have to say. Would you, uh, how would you fix that perception? Whether it's true or not, how would you fix that perception? Well, just to communicate with people. I think communication is probably the, the largest problem with most organizations is, is the lack of. Um, you know, people are pretty understanding when you say, hey, I haven't gotten this done, but here's where I'm at with it. You know what I'm saying? They're pretty patient. It's the lack of communication. Um, something didn't get done, and, and then you, it's crickets, you know, on the, on the city side. If people respond and communicate, or if they ask me questions, I will respond. Um, I, I've attended a handful of city council meetings. I watch them quite often. And, and I like that option because I can, I can have that in the background or do other things, and I can pay attention to the issues that are going on. Yeah. And, and I think a lot more people watch than, 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 than they give credit for. And so when they say it's poorly attended, I don't know that they're looking at the, at the views, um, you know, on... Uh, on YouTube. On YouTube. So, because because I attend it that way on a regular basis. I'll tell you one thing that's nice um, when you do attend it in person is there's almost never any uh, opposition to you asking a question right there at the moment. Correct. So if somebody's giving up, uh, you know, a presentation on what they're doing with this water, you say, "Hey, can I ask a question?" And, and they're really good about, "Yeah, go ahead." And, and having that back and forth. So that is one of the positives about attending in person. And I try to when I can, um, but I also watch on YouTube, and I do like that that's there. And speaking of being responsive, we're down to about five minutes. Um, give people uh, your contact information, ways that they can write you a check, pick up a yard sign, support you, learn more about your positions. How can they get in touch with you and, uh, and learn more about you? Okay. Let me just say one more comment about about responsive. I have emailed um, the council members on issues that I have concerns with, and and they've been very responsive via email. And so I I don't know that that is a fair assessment, to be honest. And and there they are council members that have responded to me that don't agree with me on that issue. And so I I think that they've been fairly responsive, and I would 
I would think that I would be the same. And so, contact. Um, I have a website, which is Cox number four cedar.com. So Cox for cedar.com. I have a Facebook page that is Robert S. Cox for Cedar City Council. You can find me there, and then obviously there's links to uh, links to my website there. And we'll put these graphically on the screen as well. Okay. And then I have a Venmo. I have a Venmo there if, if you'd like to contribute. I mean, I'm, I'm glad it's not real expensive to run, but, you know, it's, it, it does cost some. Sure. Um, and then my, I, my email is rscoxcpa at gmail.com. And then my phone, my cell phone, and, and I'm, if, I, I don't answer it if, I, if I'm with someone because it's disrespectful. Leave a message. I, I'm I, the I, same I way. Respond. Um, but my, my cell phone number is 435-559-0785. All right. Is there anything else that you'd like people to know about you that we haven't covered? Um, no, I just, you know, again, I, I, I go back to, um, you know, I really struggled with whether to run or not because I thought, well, you know, it's a big-time commitment. You know, I, I have, you know, other things that I, I could probably do but I, I kept I, I kept going back to the founders of this country and thought, well, what if George Washington said, well, this is kind of inconvenient and I don't have time for it, and so I feel that that it's a civic responsibility and duty. Um, I have I have the time and I, I I feel like I have the ability to make the city a better place than I found it. Not that it's bad, um, and so that's why I want to run is is to give back to this wonderful community that's that's given so much to my family and I. Not because I want to be a politician. So, fantastic. Well, George Washington did say that after his second term. So yes. they wanted to make him president for life, and he said, "No, that's not good." <laughs> and rightfully so. And rightfully so. And, and I'm glad it worked out the way it did. Well, we've been here with Robert Cox. We want to thank you for coming in. And this uh, debate and debate this uh, interview is uh, conducted by Cedar City Politics and the Southern Utah Citizens for Ethical Government PAC and What's Really Happening in Southern Utah, the podcast. Now I'm going to make a, a, baseless, a shameless pitch here. Um, so thanks to the generosity of this community, the uh, nonprofit that I run, the Friends of the Iron County Sheriff, was able to raise around $30,000 uh, to provide additional mental health care for the first responders in uh, the aftermath of the hate killings earlier this year. We are now ready to do our second campaign, and we have launched Operation Woof. The sheriff has identified a need in this community for a canine that is trained to smell explosives as well as firearms. Currently, what happens if uh, we get a call for a bomb at a school or a gun at a school, we have to wait for the state or St. George to send those resources to us, and that can take hours, and those hours could potentially turn into tragedy. So we have launched Operation Wolf to raise $20,000, which will purchase a, a, a canine, get him trained and outfitted, and get him on the street. So we uh, encourage all of you to reach into your generous hearts once again to help us bring that resource to our community. And you can do that by going to friendsoficsheriff.org. We are a 501c3, and all of your uh, contributions are eligible to be tax deductible. You need to check with your tax preparer to see if you qualify for that, obviously. 
if you take the standard deduction, you're out of luck. But uh, we still need that resource in this community, and we would love if you would help us to attain that for our community. So this has been Dan Kidder with the What's Really Happening in Southern Utah, the podcast, and Cedar City Politics. And later on today in the studio, uh, we have Mark Mumford coming in, and we have Sarah Rigel coming in. And then tomorrow, uh, we have uh, Brittany Fisher coming in, and that will round up the entire list of candidates for Cedar City Council. We'll have gotten all seven of them uh, interviewed for you to learn about them. And we appreciate you watching, and we will see you on the next one.